Textile Podcast. All right. A place for the prudent crypto investor, gigabrains, devs, founders, and moon boys. Welcome. Quick disclaimer, this is not financial advice. We're just trying to make sense of the madness that is cryptocurrencies together. I'm your host, Sira, and I'm joined by a few of the council members of the DSX DAO, Kermudgeon and Cerberus. What's up, guys? How's it going? Hi there. Everything good. Excited to be here. Good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Um, so I wanted to do uh, a quick introduction, right? If we can sort of go around, introduce the both of yourselves, your names. Well, we already went through your names, but what you do and how you got into cryptos full time. Cerberus, do you want to start? Sure. So Cerberus here, I'm your classic crypto citizen. I'm full-time into this space since 2017 when I graduated financial economics. Uh, I also have a fintech startup uh, crowdfunding platform, but my daily focus is crypto. I went through the whole uh, roller coaster crypto thing, learned all the investing and trading lessons the hard way, meaning I lost money, made money, lost it again. And finally, in 2020, I took the last money, the last money I had in my business and bought Bitcoin in April after the COVID crash, which turned out to be probably the best decision of my life. Uh, I also sold the top and bought the bottom a year later, 2017, 2018, but my execution was so poor at the time that just calling tops and bottoms is absolutely no guarantee of being successful in these markets. Because after 2018, a long sideways market chopped up most, most of the retail, including me. So nowadays I'm just trading options, exploring DeFi and trying to build as much as I can here with the DAO. Okay, yes. So that's, that's awesome because I also did a very similar thing, right? I lost a lot of money, or I guess on paper made a lot of money in 2017, 2018, and then lost it all. Um, and it wasn't until COVID, also April of 2020, I put 98% of, of my bank account, threw it in a split between Bitcoin and Ethereum. And it was also the best decision of my life, right? It allowed me to resign from my job and really do this full time and learn about this full time. So that's awesome. Kermudgeon, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm the newcomer in this space. I, um, I really got into crypto more uh, as the macro play uh, in 2020, seeing both the potential of decentralized finance come to a real head, as well as the, um, the, the just the endless monetary printing, the endless fiscal and monetary stimulus coming out of the Federal Reserve and the other central banks really made the store of value narrative around uh, Bitcoin uh, much more viable than it ever had been before. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm most interested in how different aspects of DeFi can really build up new economic models that um, haven't been directly replicated in traditional finance where I've worked for a couple of decades and and really looking forward to what the space delivers over the next couple of years. Um, I think the current market cycle is a, a bit of a, a different one than what we might have seen before, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm confident that a couple of years from now we'll have been glad to stuck it through. Oh, yeah. So there are a few points there that I would love to sort of get deeper into. And um, I guess to connect what the both of you just said, tops and bottoms, right? Calling tops and bottoms and the difference between this cycle and the last cycle, because there are stark differences, right? Because all we can do as people who are trying to make our way in this space is compare, at least as a trader, is to compare this, you know, price action with the past cycles that we've seen 
And I guess some of the first um, things that I've noticed about the differences is how altcoins are moving in relation to how Bitcoin is moving, right? So traditional money flow theory would suggest that Bitcoin moves first and then Ethereum and then your large caps and then, you know, so on and so on. But we're seeing something a little bit different now. It being more, a lot more narrative driven than in 2017, 2018, which makes timing the tops and the bottoms even more difficult, right? Because things are not moving the way uh, we thought it would. What do you guys think about that? So I think there's uh, the big difference between now and five years ago is that all of the altcoins, well, maybe not all, but many of the altcoins have a real use case. They have a real economic driver behind them. And even if the rest of the market is doing badly, that narrative can still uh, carry them forward. And the economics surrounding that narrative can really carry that forward. Um, so that that's one big difference. I think in 2017, everything was more or less driven by the same kind of payments and store of value type of narratives. And it was all variations of a theme. Here you have completely different species of things. I think that's a great, that's a great point. <laughs> I, I, I would totally agree. Yeah, also agree. You, you can also look at how, how people are interacting with alt. Now they are charting them and uh, trading them versus US dollar or USD tether or whichever stable coin you want. When in 2015, 2017, 2018, all alts were mainly traded versus Bitcoin and Bitcoin was the like the, the gold market. When uh, as of now, many people do, do make the claim that Bitcoin will lose that, uh, that position and maybe Ethereum or I don't know some, some other big crypto will take its place. So I, I'm not saying big Bitcoin days are numbered, but uh, you, you, can always, you can always like have, have a discussion about is Bitcoin still the most important thing in crypto and it, is it the one that just makes things happen like cycle wise? Yeah, I guess we'll find out, right? I personally think that, you know, Bitcoin will stay as relevant as it always will, as it always has been, I think. And people will continue to say that death of Bitcoin or, you know, I would rather buy Ethereum or altcoins and stuff, but Bitcoin will probably stay as significant and probably the top market cap cryptocurrency for much longer than we would expect. I know Ethereum is catching up pretty fast. Even if it does sort of flip, that flip won't last very long, right? Maybe it'll be a day, a week, and then it would drop down. Um, that's what I think. So one thought that I had was, if you think about the overlap of in investors and market participants between Bitcoin and altcoins now versus before, I think there's a lot of people who are very active on Ethereum who have le less than 10% of their portfolio in Bitcoin or Bitcoin related assets. I don't, you know, and therefore Bitcoin could jump, jump to zero and it wouldn't have the impact on their spending power or their, um, their sentiment the way that it would have a few years ago when it was the big ballast. You know, I think Bitcoin's gonna turn out to be the, the gold bullion of crypto, which has a use in your portfolio, and it ha um, but it should not be the dominant element of your portfolio. Yes, that's a good point. And I did wanna talk about how um, the Bitcoin dominance chart has just been on a, on a, on a huge downtrend really since, since Ethereum came about, right? But my, my thought process is that most people, I think most people who are not really in the space but want to invest in cryptocurrencies um, will start with Bitcoin, right? Because it's a little easier to understand versus DeFi and Ethereum. I, th I think, maybe I could be wrong, right? Because I guess 
teaching someone how smart contracts work, <laughs> I think that takes five minutes to get the general picture, 10 minutes, and then you realize its implications on, you know, a whole bunch of other things. Um, but in terms of like the average person who is going to, who wants to step into cryptos, I'm thinking that they're going to get into Bitcoin first because of that store of value narrative, um, which, you know, maybe only, I don't know exactly what percentage of the people in the world are actually invested in cryptocurrencies, but when you start getting into the larger percentage of the world population, I'm thinking that they would generally flock to Bitcoin first. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I think part of it, it was true a couple of years ago, uh, but nowadays it's it's more like, who are we talking about? Are we talking about big money or are we talking about the average Joe? Because big money, totally agree with everything you said, will go to Bitcoin. But your average Joe will look to small caps and yeah, they, they won't touch DeFi because it, it's quite tough to understand. But they look for like small altcoins that have a a small denomination, so anything under a dollar, because as you've seen Cardano or other shit coins that that, that had like a, a price under one dollar, would were such a boom in 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 the last year, and that's in my opinion because. One, the community was very strong, and second, they saw that they're too late to the party, to the Bitcoin or Ether party, so they're just going to grab uh, the cheapest altcoin that they can find. But of course, we know that it's not the price that's important, it's devaluation, so, but, yeah. Yes, so, uh, totally agree, right? You have the retail coming in. The retail who know nothing about cryptocurrencies will buy something under a dollar because they think it's cheap, not knowing that 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 coin that they just bought that's like ten cents actually started from point zero 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 one like three months ago. It's already gone up a thousand, a hundred thousand percent, and its market cap is in the billions. Like they have no idea how this works. And then institutions, yes, I also agree that they would be the ones primarily at first who will buy Bitcoin because they understand that as, as gold and maybe Ethereum and DeFi, not so much yet, maybe akin to how um, no one really understood the values of the FANG stocks when they first came out, right? Or Tesla, for example, um, it had to sort of be more widespread and demonstrate its use case and its value and how it can make money. These protocols are making money um, until money actually started flowing into them from institutions. So, you know, it's just easier to understand gold and stores of value and then new technology. Yeah, I think for a lot of it, there's going to be different layers of market participants. You identified two of them, kind of your person who comes in from nowhere um, and buys Shiba Inu coin or whatever it's called. And then the um, person who is, you know, and you, you heard those firefighters in Texas bought, bought uh, 25 or $50 million worth of Bitcoin for the pension fund. Um, you know, that's, but in between, I think you have a lot of people who look at all the different lending protocols and say, yes, I understand this. I understand collateralized lending. Um, I understand why you can get good returns from collateralized lending with low risk. I'm willing to put money into the token or into the pools. Um, and I'm comfortable with the, uh, with the downside aspects of it, especially if it's dollar denominated. So I would be curious to know what, what actual percentage of people, let's say crypto participants are dabbling with DeFi in that sense, right? So they understand liquidity pools, they participate in liquidity pools. Um, and just that, like how many people are actual, actually understand this? And, and I guess how many people of the population who are investors are actually invested in cryptocurrencies? Because in my mind, the people who are 
participating in liquidity pools. I, I don't, I understand that there are billions of dollars in like, you know, LPs and Uniswap and all these other decentralized exchanges, billions and billions of dollars. Um, but what percentage of that investment population or investor population is actually in these liquidity pools? Like, could it actually just be one, you know, a few number of people with big pockets or is it a bunch of people? Well, my my first my first thought would be like lower than ten percent, but when we're thinking that OpenSea is at the highest of every metric, every valuation, and to buy NFTs you have to interact with uh, a wallet, a decentralized wallet, and when you're interacting with a decentralized wallet, why wouldn't you just look just a, a layer a layer down into DeFi? So I honestly think that uh, the percentage is higher than uh, what most people think. Uh, also, another metric to find out that would be to look at the DeFi market cap. But most people are just speculators. They're not like power users. So I know anything in the range of 20 to 30%, I would say that they at least interacted with a smart contract. But if, if you want to define it like, uh, a liquidity pool, it might be smaller. I think it's all about how are we defining uh, interacting with DeFi here. Yeah, so to that point, about NFTs, there are people who are spending thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy an NFT. And these same people, some of these people don't even own Bitcoin, right? Or they don't buy they haven't dabbled with with any other DeFi protocol outside of trying to buy their NFT. And so this is another category of people who have now entered the market um, interacting with smart contracts through NFTs, but don't know anything outside of that or haven't started digging through that yet. Right. Eminem bought a board ape for $460,000. Like that's insane. Do you think he's like, you know, taken a look at liquidity pools or gone on a decentralized exchange? Probably not, but. Oh yeah, for, for sure not. He is probably just doing it for the flex for the, for the culture. <laughs> Which is great, right? Uh, I mean, I'm not complaining. It's just really, I guess, I don't know how to uh, interpret the, interpret all this stuff that's going on because you have different, I guess, facets of, of social change maybe or pop culture that's popping up on all these different places and it's just very difficult to to wrap your head around like what this actually means yeah sure well as you said there are many facets and some some of, some of the people are doing it for the money just like if you have a very small portfolio you just want to flip it and become richer but when someone like eminem or uh, a big star or someone with big pocket pockets just buys uh, a very expensive NFT. They definitely are doing it. Are doing it for 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 the cloud. They it's, it's like buying a Lambo. You're not you're not buying a Lambo to to drive in Miami or you're buying a board day to put it on your Twitter on your Instagram. So I think again it depends on who who are we looking at. Well, you also think about. Um... You know, was it Visa who was buying uh, um, you know a bunch of the NFTs as well last year? Um, you know, as well to kind of show yes, we're with the future, we're the payments platform of the twenty first century, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the thing is, you know, if you really wanted to, and I know Chainalysis does a bunch of these kinds of studies. All of these data are on the chain. You can see what proportion of wallets have how much value you can see the type of things that they have participated in you know this this could be like an interesting avenue for a research study you know but i do suspect a lot of people you know will have for instance they look at the uh, apy that you can get on a liquidity pool in terms of the rewards they don't understand impermanent loss they put some money in and then they're surprised when despite the 120% APR, they've managed to lose money on uh, on their liquidity pool and they get burned and they never touch it again for the next 20 years. Um, you know, I think I think you even with DeFi, you've got to kind of separate things but between 
um, things that are easy to understand um, in terms of the risk profile, like um, like lending versus things where you have to have a view as to how quickly the two tokens are going to trend against each other, um, like if you're doing uh, a Uniswap pool. Definitely a whole bunch of new things you have to take under consideration, right? Traditional finance, uh, I guess, I don't know if this this uh, this is you know appropriate to what you just said, but when you bring someone from traditional finance into this space, there are a lot of similarities between what they're used to seeing and what's going on in, in DeFi, but there are also a lot of differences. For example, paying attention to those two different coins that uh, that you're in this liquidity pool for. Like, I don't think TradFi has anything close to that. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. It's just totally a different beast. Um, yeah, uh, the whole automated market maker thing, um, it just does not exist in a traditional finance sense. The, there are automated market makers, but they use much more intelligent algorithms than um, the product of the uh, prices should be equal uh, as the rule for setting prices. And the, the way that um, market making works in a traditional mark in a traditional sense you don't need to subsidize it you have big companies like citadel or whatever who make billions of dollars a year doing it um based off of a combination of the transaction fees and the bid offer spreads in a um in in DeFi, you've got to subsidize your market makers because if you want them to provide liquidity because they're going to lose money that doesn't um that doesn't work that way um in traditional finance it's that's probably the single biggest conceptual um difference is in is that market making here loses money interesting and and yeah i mean um that's that's why i think we're also interested in 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 DeFi, right because you don't have a citadel or something who's who's the, the the sole person i guess making the markets yet we you know go on to uh, any careers website and look for you know crypto market makers crypto option market makers crypto whatever hiring in this space is tremendous wow so i want to sort of shift gears um a little bit also bringing back to um you know, influencers talking about influencers getting into NFTs and things like this. Um, but I did want to talk about crypto Twitter influencers and YouTube influencers, right? Um, which I guess you can kind of, uh, they obviously know a lot more than Eminem, who just bought an NFT, but in terms of um, gaining a following and having people, you know, trust their calls. Um, I think there's there's a lot to be said about people putting out their uh, their prediction or, you know, this is what I'm doing now or this is what I'm going to do. This is what I think is going to happen. And people who are new to the space kind of blindly following them. Um, we've seen huge market, you know, market correction in the past couple of weeks, um, really since November. And for the most part in the past couple of weeks, my Twitter feed has just been filled with uh, this is the bottom, bottom is in, this is what I think, this is where I'm gonna buy. And if you listen to all these people, then you would have just gotten yourself wrecked. Um, I, I think to me, it's, it's very important to find the people who, I don't wanna say know what they're talking about because a lot of people know what they're talking about, but, doesn't mean that their calls are going to be correct, right? So for me, it's more of how can how can people sort of make their own decisions? Like, what do they have to do to be able to come to the conclusion that okay, now is when I now is the time to sell and and not hold on and get wrecked on paper just to just to be like you know I don't know uh, to be a diamond hand holder for the next two years. Right. Like that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me if you have diamond hands because you just wasted an opportunity to take profits when you're up 400 percent 
you know, a month ago, and now all of a sudden you're down, you know, 25% or, or more. Yes, it's very interesting living and interacting on crypto Twitter. Uh, you know that the the constant is is that you have to counter trade uh, everything that happens on crypto Twitter, which in in my experience is true only when people are really emotional on Twitter. So a very good example of that is. Uh, last last year in uh it was yeah no 2020 when the bull run started in uh, september to november everyone was emotional and saying bitcoin was like 15k and everyone was saying that we will go back to under 10k and all your major influencers were were guaranteeing that and i just sense that and even i felt and wanted that. So my medicine was just, oh, I, I have to buy calls, like have to buy a bunch of calls. And I did that for for like two months and it was a very, very good decision. But I honestly wasn't like uh, okay with it because I was counter trading me as well because in, in my head, I didn't have enough Bitcoin and I wanted to stay uh, more on the decade so I can accumulate more and that was the constants on on uh, on on Twitter as well so yeah as you said in the past weeks people were calling bottoms and and saying that uh, we're gonna go up to 100k to go to till the end of year which eventually yet yeah, it didn't happen and people were again very emotional so mainly being in cash was the was the best idea i'm not saying shorting because it it's a tough market market and uh most of it was sideways in, in the last couple of weeks with very uh violent down moves so if you're not a pro trader i really don't recommend uh, trading that just hold holding cash is fine i'd also say you know this is kind of like the the TradFi equivalent of going on CNBC and blathering. Um, there is, it's the old qui bono. Um, so who benefits? If I, uh, if I go on uh, crypto Twitter and blather about something, the more concrete and the more predictive I am, the more you should ignore me. Because I'm not going on crypto Twitter to go and try to enrich uh, random strangers who happen to follow me um, just to make myself feel good. Um, I am going on there to either try to influence other people to do stuff that benefits me, um, which means I could be doing the exact opposite of what I'm saying, um, or I could just be talking up my own book. Um, but it's, you know, it's not to, to benefit you. If people on crypto Twitter are talking about more conceptual things, more things about what's happening in the present, about um, specific protocols or what they think are good or bad outcomes, um, you know, that could result from that. That's a bit more, um, that's a bit, that's a bit more useful. And that, that's the way to find value in crypto Twitter, saying somebody, seeing somebody call, oh, Bitcoin's going to bottom at 40. Oh, maybe, um, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but, um, whatever it is, um, either this person is, um, trying to use his followers as, as, uh, cannon fodder for the markets or um, maybe trying to do the opposite and wants to use you as exit liquidity. It's not to help you. So two things to that, that I think are very important, right? And, and that I'm also kind of unclear about. I think maybe people are, or, or maybe on Twitter and YouTube, right? To be bullish, to be always bullish, you get more followers, you get more likes, you get more interactions. And I don't know if people get paid, at least on Twitter, Twitter influencers, I don't know if you get paid for having X many followers. I don't think so. But um, like everyone is always bullish, even like they're always saying bullish things. And I can't imagine anyone who knows how to read a chart believes in what they're saying when uh, when it just looks so bad right when the chart just looks so bad why would you be telling everyone like bottom is in or or you know 50k next um 
unless you have another ulterior motive, right? Like what you were saying, Kermudgeon. And it's true. I was on a, at least on YouTube, right? On crypto YouTube, I was listening to a chart champions AMA. It came out like a couple of days ago. And Daniel, who started chart champions, um, was talking about how he didn't mention any names, but there are YouTube influencers who have this, uh, you know, they, they shill out their affiliate link and they say, you know, breakout is coming. These are breakout traders um, who are, who have large, very, very large followings, right? The largest crypto followings on YouTube. And they say, this is the trade. Um, this is my affiliate link. Click on the affiliate link and basically make this trade with me. A lot of the times you'll see the these breakout trades fail and you have huge liquidations. Um, I didn't know this, but these influencers who have these affiliate links make apparently a lot of money when people use their affiliate link and get liquidated. Right. So like you were saying, there are people who may actually be doing the opposite of what they're saying, right. To get people, uh, to, to get fees off of liquidations, for example. Um, and there are a handful of crypto influencers who have turned this into a business, right? Cause I, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Like this is a trade that I'm taking and then it fails, right? Yeah, I, I also heard uh, this kind of things about the affiliate link business uh, that like big influencers are doing uh, double digit Bitcoin, Bitcoin uh, of it like every month because uh, people are trading it and from part, the more people trade off their affiliate link, the more uh, uh, Bitcoin or Ether they get into their account. So, I mean, you could also you can always ask yourself which one is uh, is better or worse for the community, just shilling affiliate links or shilling projects that you don't care about and probably will fail or are scams and getting paid a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I definitely don't agree of shilling projects in which you don't believe or uh, or you know that will fail, but also shilling affiliate links. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like <laughs> the best thing, best thing to do for for the for, for the community. But we are all all digits and we need a place to to trade. So why not get cheaper fees uh, and also do a good thing for your affiliate? That's the whole point of, of the affiliate link. It is not like you want to to get people right or something. I mean, you, you can get like a, a good income, even if you're the one who access your affiliate link is doing good trades. I mean, you you also get part, part of, of their God. So this is what, cause I, I, I didn't really understand um, what was going on or what, what the, you know, the, uh, the business model of affiliate links are until I heard uh, the chart champions AMA and yes, from my understanding, there is a win-win situation. That's not super freaking scammy, like getting people liquidated. And that is, um, I guess how chart champions is doing it. Right. So they, because they're an education channel and their, uh, students, right. Right. Their, their customers, myself included, um, are not getting liquidated by following like how they trade. So chart champions are, are making a little bit on the market orders that we're putting in. Um, if we click their affiliate link, right? Because they have a partnership with Bybit, for example, and it just makes business sense when you're providing a service that is a win-win for your customers, Bybit and chart champions. And they're also making a lot less money from my understanding versus, you know, some of these other influencers who are making a lot more money on liquidations. So it's, it's, it's still the wild, wild west. And we're, what I guess what we're seeing is wild, wild wests in 
all the different new things that are popping up in crypto. So I just wanted to add to that. So there's, you know, different kinds of affiliate link methods. One is, you know, there's very upfront, you get the person liquidated, you get a giant fee, um, you know, and then you forget about that person forever. And then the other is some, what sounds more like what these guys are doing is that you want them to stick around because you get pennies each time, but times a thousand trades over three years, that adds up to a, um, a material amount. But the other thought uh, that I had, it's, you know, this comes back to the old web two, um, saying, you know, if you're not paying for it, you're the product and for a lot of these YouTubes, you are the product. You are the uh, cannon fodder for liquidations and um, cleaning up other people's books um, that they're sending out um, to for a fee. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great points. So I want to sort of move on to uh, our last topic or the last subject that I want to bring up. And that is the macro environment. What do you guys think about um, the upcoming rate hikes, right? That impact on uh, legacy markets and how that'll trickle down to cryptos. Um, I, I think, like, I personally think that the, there is no decoupling. There is no super cycle. Like, if if the uh, if legacy markets or, or let's say the S and P five hundred just all of a sudden crashes tomorrow, Bitcoin and all, all the cryptocurrencies are going to go with it, if not drop even harder, right? So what, what do you guys think about this? Like, are you worried about, um, are you worried about that? Are you worried about uh, the rate hikes affecting our next cycle peak? If everyone is thinking the cycle peak was going to be 2022, 2023, like, what do you guys think about this? So I think there's a few things there. One is there's definitely a strong correlation of Bitcoin and the crypto market in general to traditional measures of risk on. Um, and if you look at how other things have behaved, say since uh, middle of uh, October, November, um, you're looking at, well, Kathy Woods is falling through the floor. Um, software is falling through the floor. If you look at high growth software, things that, um, you know, those are falling through the floor. Amazon's not been doing well. All of these growthy type of names, they have not been doing well, and they have been doing so in direct correlation um, to Bitcoin. Now, that, does, you know, that doesn't mean that one is causing the other. That's probably more. They are being caused by the same thing, which is people are retrenching. Um, there's less appetite for risk. There's, you know, part of what has been supporting the equity markets is this concept of there is no alternative. Everything else that you could possibly do is going to give you terrible returns for the foreseeable future. Um, if there are rate hikes and you can meet your required return at lower risk, um, maybe people will, uh, will start going migrating back into bonds, but I don't see that, um, happening anytime soon. Um, I think you're still going to see a negative real yield on treasuries, um, even up to, to 10 year treasuries for the foreseeable future. It, there was a, there was an interesting study, uh, that was released last week that basically if you took the Taylor rule, which is basically inflation versus unemployment, you modified it a little bit, it would suggest that the fed should hike six times this year. I mean, we're talking, you know, the market is pricing in three, uh, three and a half. Um, the, um, the dot plot is, you know, also pointing to similar number. You're not, you know, you're not looking at, nobody's thinking about six. You know, if that actually happened and we did have six, you know, first of all, the store value narrative would be derailed a bit because it would show the Fed is actually serious about making the dollar a store value again, um, which you know, and probably in some ways would be welcome for the global economy, but uh, maybe not so welcome for crypto investors anytime soon. Um, but it would also, I think you would have these, uh, this whole concept of the taper tantrum uh, from several, well, it was eight years ago now, um, coming back with a vengeance. And I don't think Powell and the rest of the Fed crew have the uh, follow through 
to actually um, implement this the way Volcker did uh, 40 years ago when you know, he derailed the economy to get inflation back under control. Um, and sometimes you need, sometimes that's what's needed. Um, and the, you know, the sooner you do it, the less painful and expensive it's going to be. If, you know, the late seventies were characterized by people putting things off, kicking that can down the road until the problem gets bigger and bigger and you needed the radical surgery to fix it. So the, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, uncertainty still out there around what, what the fed is actually going to do versus what is, uh, what they are posturing. So what you're saying is what looking at inflation and unemployment right now, I think inflation is at 7%, unemployment may be at 3%, which has gone down. Unemployment has gone down, I believe in the past few months, right? Since the economy started picking up again, or people came, started coming back to work. So what you're saying is looking at that data, the right thing for the Fed to do is to increase uh, interest rates six times in 2022. And what that would mean would be adding or creating, uh, making the dollar more of a store of value because now people are, I guess, making money holding onto dollars, which we all know is maybe bad for cryptocurrencies. Um, but the issue there is that if they're constantly increasing rates, then risk on is or then then everyone's going to be risk off right no one wants to be putting in uh their their money in risk on assets or even just stocks in general because i guess what i don't understand is why is it that um when interest rates go up like stocks go down like why is that why is that risky for stocks there's two channels for that um one is the concept that well there's actually three channels one is this there is no alternative uh concept so right now if you put your money in a bank deposit or any kind of short-term um instrument you know you're 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 not just getting less than inflation you're not you're not even getting a tenth of inflation you are losing you are losing real money you know if you get things to the point where you can park money in a in a bank deposit and have it actually keep its value you know, that, that's not a stupid thing for some people to do um, for at least a portion of their assets. And the second thing is, if you look at the indebtedness of, of uh, corporations around the world, you get, um, you know, if, if rates start going up, um, they may not be able to service their debts. And then you can start to get, you know, I'm not saying that's going to turn into Evergrande because I don't think any uh, company in the U.S. is at the same level of precarity as what uh you know both in terms of size as well as um just kind of just barely hanging on but there's going to be companies that will go under because they you know like toys are rusted or um you know they over indebted they meet you know they um they can't refinance um at current rates with without basically me uh doing some kind of haircut to bondholders so that's going to be bad for America, for corporate America. And then the third thing is, if you're thinking, you know, you're back to your finance 101 discounted cash flow, you know, if you are discounting those cash flows coming from um, your high growth stock that makes no money right now, but will make money in uh, a decade, well, that, that starts being worth a whole lot less. And over you know one or two years that's not a big deal over something that where you're expecting the growth to be in several years um that you know that starts becoming a material impairment got it so what i always forget is that a lot of these large businesses a lot of companies in general businesses in general have loans right and they take out huge loans um and they take these out because the expectation is that they will continue to see revenue coming in and they will continue to grow pay, paying out those loans and those loans are like you know aiding to their own growth um and then if you have i guess if you have a something happening to the markets where people are not buying your product anymore then you're basically screwed 
So I, I totally get that um, and why money would be moving out of stocks or, or risk on assets if rate hikes do increase. Yeah, I think we we have to think which one is more important for the Fed, making the dollar a store, a store of value or uh, the, the rising S&P 500. And of course, it, it is not only them two, there are other things to take into consideration, but neither US political party wants to halt the rise in asset prices. I mean, but but both both parties want to say I was in power when when the S and P five hundred rose. It makes everyone rich. Uh, the donors are happy. The voters are happy. The economy is is going good. So that's why I I honestly think that the the halt in uh, in asset purchasing and uh, hot, and the rising rates will probably end in a maximum of two years because it, it just doesn't make sense for for the us uh, the, the stock market is a matter of national security for them and going down forever like a down only market i would see it only if it would be like a, a very big shock uh, financial wave that would happen that would hit us as well other than that yeah it's, it's just a bump in the road and they'll make everything good in one year, most likely. Mm -hmm. And then this is why, like, this is, I think what you just said is the reason why the US is constantly kicking the can down the road, right? Because they don't want to see their stocks just drop for an extended period of time. And we're probably going to keep seeing that, that sort of kicking the can down the road. Uh, the implications of that in the long term, I, I don't know. I don't have... The, the the brains for that um but i did want to ask what you guys think about so we, we know that a lot of vc money has come into uh crypto startups or, or new protocols and and things of this nature like a lot of money I, I don't know exactly how much but i think we all agree that there is a lot of vc money coming into the space if we see or when we start seeing these rate hikes what do you think uh Will, will happen to, to all that money coming into these super risky, I guess, startups and new protocols, right? If money's coming out of stocks and risk on, what more these, these kinds of, uh, this kind of risk on asset? Wasn't it Warren Buffett who said you should be buying when there's blood in the water? You know, it's that, that, that would be, uh, they would go on a shopping spree. They would have a fantastic opportunities to invest. Um, once the money is committed, it's, it's committed. There is, there's basically no out unless they're, um, without the agreement of the, uh, of the VC firm, unless the, you know, there's usually some kind of, uh, you know, if the founders get arrested or something kind of, uh, um, or leave the leave the firm type of thing. There are sort of like key person events um, like that, but otherwise the money's committed. They, they're going to spend it. Um, and the fact of the matter is, um, th some of those first v big VC funds um, they were investing in 2018, and that was the reason they made tremendous returns is they were buying stuff on the cheap. And I guess that's also similar to maybe what was it 2000 2001 dot-com bubble, right? Everyone who was buying or anyone who invested in the companies that survived that crash probably made a shit ton of money. Um, I guess what it means now is like, how, how do I know if this protocol is going to survive, right? If we do see some kind of massive recession or, or market drop, but that's the VC's job, right? That's that's what they do. They try to make these bets and hope it plays out. Yeah, well, you can always look at uh, the assets that survived the test of time. Bitcoin and Ether would be probably the first choice. But if you want to make like riskier bets, like uh, big funds did with uh, Solana or uh, other Phantom or other big protocols nowadays, you 
probably need to have also another funnel. It's not just about the money. It's also about in which project with which with what leader are you are you investing? Because if if you're looking at every successful uh, project from from last year, all of them had a big leader who managed to 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 drive the community and uh, follow follow them or end the project. So I I wouldn't say it's only about the money here. It's also about the 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 thing that you are investing in. You mean like innovation, like the, the, for example, investing in Solana because you think that Solana is going to really push the crypto industry forward or mm, let's invest in metaverse because the metaverse is probably going to be super huge and i want to be a part of that and i want to help that grow that, that's what you mean yeah uh yeah and also it's i mean look at uh july and august last year when solana was the asset that uh, recovered the best out of all the all of them and surprise, surprise, after a month or two, there were all these articles about uh, some big TradFi VCs that uh, put lots of money in Solana. I mean, all those recoveries were DWAPs from the from from them big funds. So, and after that, it was an up-only market because retail picked that up and it was like a domino effect. So I wonder... It'll be interesting to see which which uh, alt L1s and, and sort of other protocols are going to be the first to bounce um, after this sort of corrective period that we're seeing now. And we're already sort of seeing where money is going from the past couple of weeks, right? Adam has done extremely well. Um, every little drop, you see mana or, or these gaming coins have pretty significant bounces, at least in the very short term. But certainly, um, Phantom and Adam have just done tremendously well during this corrective period. Um, I don't know where that money is coming from, but it is something to take note of, um, right? I think we're still at the mercy of the market cycle and the macro. I'm up. Honestly, I don't think anyone can know, can know in this moment what we'll do uh, best in six months to a year. Because if if we'll get like six rate hikes, trust me, everyone will get fucked, and being in cash would be the best thing for for them. So I think this is the the, the best way that we can end our 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 second episode. Um, and that is what you guys think or your, your boldest prediction for, for the next maybe six months. So I guess I'll start with mine. Um, and that is, and I've had this sort of mindset for, for the past couple months, right? I believe in lengthening cycles and I believe that we're not going to see this is not the peak and the peak is probably going to come around the end of 2022, early 2023. Right. And I have this because I follow Ben Cohen from into the cryptoverse and he's sort of uh, laid out his thoughts very, very well. Um, and so if that's the case, then it could be that Bitcoin drops further, right? Drops to maybe 30 K drops to maybe lower 20s and then sees a huge bounce from there um I'm, I'm also pulling out these numbers because i also follow chart champions and they're the best traders i in my opinion the best crypto traders in the world um and i have sort of their levels that they're looking at and that is you know if we don't get a huge bounce at 40k maybe it's going to be at 30k um and so on right 23k and so if these things happen, then maybe in the next three months, four months, we're, we're going to see that further correction, maybe together with stocks, um, followed by a huge bounce by, you know, from the crypto, from the crypto markets, while everything else in the world is going down, right? So we're going to see all that huge value come into to cryptos as that, that hedge 
at least Bitcoin as that hedge against a dropping dollar, um, which would catapult it, catapult Bitcoin through all time highs and and 100 K like what, which is what we're all sort of expecting to see. Um, and that could take, you know, the, the next 12, 12 months, really. All right. I've, I've got one. Um, not, not related to price action or anything, but to market structure, I think we're going to see one of the big prop groups, whether that is, um, one of the name brand ones, um, that we all hear about or one of the smaller ones get into crypto in a big way and they are going to upset the whole apple cart around the automated market maker structure um they're going to make things like sandwich attacks completely much more common than they are now um and they're going to be we're going to have to completely revise the way that these automated market makers work I like it. Cerberus? Yeah, well, well uh, as I said earlier, I think we, we're we at the mercy of the market cycle and uh, what the macro will do. But for someone who who wants to hold uh, like Bitcoin or crypto and have exposure all, all the time to, to the space, using our our past experience holding Bitcoin wasn't that bad of an idea. Usually, I mean, until recently, you would have been in profit at any point you would have bought. I mean, now it's not the case, but the hot, I mean, most, most algorithms are benchmarked to the HODL uh, strategy. And that's for a reason, because it's very tough to beat the buy and hold strategy just by trading it and most people are not uh, doing in, in an automated way just they're trying to trade discretionary and and they end up losing their money so yeah just stick on your like st stay on your hands and if you want to to have exposure bitcoin is for now the answer in my opinion because anything like an altcoin is probably too too risky now Yes, and you, you were, you're saying this because we all know that Bitcoin, it doesn't matter where you buy because eventually, because it's been around for 10 years and literally this is true, eventually the price will go back up and will break that, you know, go above that price that you entered in, um, hopefully making tremendous gains from there. And yes, you cannot say this is true for all the other altcoins because nothing has withstood the test of time quite like Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. So to, to cap it all off, um, Cerberus and Curmudgeon, if you guys can just say, how can we find you, um, you know, your, your, maybe your Twitter handles. Um, and I will start by saying Deus Ex Dow, check us out where uh, our Twitter handle is um, at Deus Ex Dow. Uh, and if you liked this, podcast then please follow share and like you can find me on twitter uh at zero x servers uh if anyone wants to 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 join the DAO, we have a membership application form just hit any of us on on twitter and we'll be happy to to chat with you and I'm on Twitter as well as Xerox Curmudgeon. I was off Twitter for years uh, after it turned really toxic, but I finally got broke down and got back into it. And you can find me at Sierra 303 Guys, thank you so much for, for joining. This was, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, well, I'll be talking to you guys soon, I'll, and I'll see you in our Discord. Have a nice one. Thank you for the great discussion.